When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Daniel Radcliffe stars as a man who's blamed for his girlfriend's murder and then sets out to find the true killer. But when he wakes up one morning, he finds he's grown horns and is armed with supernatural powers. Watch Horns, now playing on demand before it hits theaters. In Life After Beth, Zack is devastated by the unexpected death of his girlfriend, but when she miraculously comes back to life, she is not quite how he remembered her. Life After Beth premieres on demand on October 14th. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And coming up in this edition of SVU, Matt and I engage in a telepathic battle of wills <laughs> as we review David Cronenberg's Scanners. Can you just do me a favor? If your eyes explode, just try to do it onto the tarp. Oh, well, out. it's nice of you to have put that yeah, down. Ahead I don't want to have to clean you know, up. Plan too much. ahead. Yeah. Later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered on a common theme. Inspired by Scanners, and this is actually true for a change, <laughs> we had originally planned to recommend movies about characters with mental powers like us, like Scanners, guess, like right. us. But then we realized there aren't actually that many good movies about people with mental powers. There's a couple of, a couple of X-Men movies that are good, and there's a lot of bad ones. Uh, a couple of Cronenberg movies, obviously. And a few other stray examples here and there, but that's about it. So... I'm throwing the gauntlet down right here and now to all the Hollywood filmmakers, screenwriters out there. Give us some great mental powers movies. There is a void that is waiting to be filled. But in the meantime, we decided we're going to take a look at the films of David Cronenberg. But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films that are new on demand. And Allison, you have our picks. What are our picks this week? got a few films that i've been looking forward to catching up to or looking forward to having them come out um these are all available now on demand so no you don't have to wait first up is open windows this is a thriller written and directed by nacho vigilando who made time crimes uh, a movie i like a lot as well as some uh, uh extraterrestrial and some very clever shorts that i'm sure are online and you should that you should definitely look up because they're very uh they're very ingenious but this is his first english language film and stars elijah wood as a man who wins a dinner date with his favorite actress played by former adult film star sasha gray and then she pulls out of the agreement uh and he is reached out to by someone who offers him access to her via like hacking her phone and then beyond that so uh, this is particularly um almost spookily timely given recent events it also takes place entirely on Elijah Wood's character's computer screen. Everybody, Jill Gadar! What a 
is this? Her phone. She thinks her camera is off right now. She's the one who goes around screwing over guys like you. I'm just getting even. She'll do anything you ask, Nick. Jill, no! Who are you? Can you keep a secret? So it's all like different video windows opening up and Mm -hmm. chat and programs and all of that, uh, which sounds very difficult, but also potentially really interesting if you can pull it off and be clever about it. And Vigilando is certainly a filmmaker who can do that. So that's Open Windows, and it is now available on demand. Also now available, The ABCs of Death 2. This is the sequel to ABCs of Death 1, I guess now, <laughs> reviewed, which was reviewed in Film Spotting SVU episode 38. It's, again, made up of 26 short films, each based on a theme starting with a different letter of the alphabet, and all of them are generally very horrific either in a gory way or a funny way or a scary way. Uh, This round features films from filmmakers such as Vincenzo Natale, Larry Fessenden, animator Bill Plimpton, Todd Rohal, and the Soska sisters. And uh, the general word on this one, I have not seen it yet. I know I, we kind of split on the first one. Mm -hmm. I liked it a little more than you did. Yeah. And also I think I watched it in chunks, which felt like a much less numbing way to watch <laughs> to watch 26 short films or horror films uh-huh. but um general word on this one is that it's a big improvement on the first one That's good. so and I, i've heard a little less reliant on just gore and and shocks so i'm gonna check it out eventually and it is also now available on demand and finally also now available supermensch it is a documentary from Mike Myers, the yes, actor, comedian Mike Myers. This is directorial debut, I believe, about talent manager Shep Gordon, a man whose clients have included Alice Cooper, as well as Blondie, Luther Vandross, and Raquel Welch, a former hard-partying guy who became spiritual and charitable. Uh, you know, and it's maybe a little odd that someone who is as hugely successful a comedian and who has been relatively out of the public eye for a while as Mike Myers uh, decided for his next trick to do an <laughs> uh, industry documentary yeah. <laughs> about a talent manager. But, you know, a word on this one has been generally good. It's very fond, obviously. But what I think sounds interesting, most interesting to me about this is, as Myers told the New York Times, in all of his stories, it occurred to me that fame is the industrial disease of creativity. There's a toxicity to fame that will have reproductive harm. Which is an interesting thought to come from someone who has been as famous as Myers has. And if he sees that reflected in the film, well, then I'm kind of intrigued. So that is Supermensch, and it is now available on demand. We're talking David Cronenberg on this episode of Film Spotting SVU. David Cronenberg, who actually just published his first novel, Consumed. Mm. I've been reading some of it. I'm about halfway through. Is it it's creepy? A, uh, no, it's it's a you know nice happy ch- tale oh. of a couple who get infected with a strange uh, sexually transmitted uh. disease of unknown origin, and also. 
there's this kind of thing with a murdered academic with uh, with can- who was cannibalized by her husband. So um, what you're saying is, if it didn't have his name on it, you might you'd <laughs> you think might either it was him or someone who was a fan of it. Yes, there's a touch of it's a little William Gibson ish mm-hmm. as well. It feels like it's set in like a near future a little mm-hmm. bit, but it's it's pretty much this one. Uh, it's been interesting so far. I haven't finished it, so I can't really give you a full opinion, but uh, it's been an enjoyable read so far. And if, he has a new movie that's coming out. It already played at some festivals, Maps to the Stars. Have you seen that? I have seen it. Yeah. I was not a huge fan of Maps to the Stars, though okay. there are parts of it that I think are really interesting. It felt a bit to me like an L.A. answer to Cosmopolis, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. but um, And it also features Robert Pattinson in a limo. Though in this wow. case, he is... Uh, he's not playing the same character. He's though. an aspiring actor slash limo driver. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's still an interesting movie, as I think every David Cronenberg movie is just about guaranteed to be. Hmm. He is he is not a boring guy. No, certainly Even not. when his movies do not work. Are you... Would you... Qua- uh, qualify yourself as a fan oh absolutely i think he's he's amazing as much as his the movies can give me nightmares or not even nightmares that seems like the wrong word his movies will just give you images that will lodge themselves in your brain and be hard to shake no they can give you nightmares i mean i've uh, i don't know if people if people can tell in my voice <clears throat> I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting over a cold i've been sick the last couple of days so i watched all of these movies in sort of a like Fever dream, a fevery stupor <laughs> of yeah, of like cold teas and and cough drops and laying on the couch and and like dipping in and out of consciousness. And let me tell you, if you want to have weird dreams, the way to do it is to is to get sick, watch Cronenberg movies while you're recuperating because it will it will mess with your head. So I've had a very undisturbed sleep or very disturbed sleep, I should say, the last couple of days. So yeah, nightmares, absolutely from Cronenberg all the time especially when you're not feeling well the one thing I was thinking and this is partly because I think I was uh so sick that I was having some strange ideas was like I was imagining playing David Cronenberg bingo like I feel uh, of all filmmakers he might be one of the easiest to make a bingo board (laughs) where each of the boxes is a different trope you know because he has kind of a, a large group of tropes that he mixes and matches, you know what I mean? So it'd probably be a pretty good game because you, you depending on the movie, you might be able to uh, check off different things and it would be a race to see who would win. I will share my winning bingo lines for each movie as we go through today. Excellent. Uh, anything else you want to say? And I don't want to. I was going to ask like, what's your favorite, but that might come up in our discussion, so I don't want to spoil. And it. I also feel like it's subject to change a little bit depending on what I've seen last because. It's easy to see more and kind of fall back in love with his movies as you watch different ones. Mm. But uh, let's start. I, I, I'll go first since okay. I have his one of his earliest films All I right. want to talk about. It's new to Netflix, actually. Shivers, which had some other titles as well. Uh, 1975 film. It's often described as his directorial debut, though he actually made a few experimental features before this that can be a little tougher to see, including one called Stereo that was technically his first film. Uh, but this is the film that established him as a talent to watch, as well as someone specializing in body horror in a really unforgettable way. Uh, the, f- the film takes place in the Starliner Tower Apartments on an island just outside Montreal in the suburbs. And it starts with a real estate slideshow touting the many 70s amenities of the isolated structure, which becomes home to an infestation of parasites that are passed by sexual contacts 
Um, and we slowly see the parasite infestation going through the building and eventually building everyone up into this sexual frenzy where there it's essentially feels like a zombie movie uh, towards the end because there are just crowds of people, mindless people chasing you down. But uh, in one way, I suppose you could look at this as the ultimate sex marks you for death movie, Mm -hmm. which is a kind of common trope in horror movies. But there's this like anarchic glee to how the chaos spreads that I think it undermines any prurience you might see in the movie. It's almost more about all of the kind of, you know, sordid human entanglements going on inside this sleek, super modern, at least for its time, you know, high end establishment, um, you know, and there, it's funny. It's certainly funny, especially in the, towards the middle as, as the parasite starts to spread. There's one scene in which one of the earliest infectees vomits one of the parasites from the balcony onto a wealthy old lady's <laughs> umbrella. And she thinks it's a bird that's like hit one of the windows and died. And we see it kind of crawl away. And it looks like this bloody worm penis thing. Blah. Yes. Uh, you know, the first and surely not the last time on this <laughs> episode, you will use the phrase bloody worm penis thing. <laughs> but it's strange. And it's it's certainly got some really indelible Cronenbergy images. I think maybe most famously, you've got the bathtub in which a lady is bathing and one of the parasites crawls up through the drain and attacks her in a particular way, in a particular place. Uh, But there's also another scene in which one of the infectees is like, like kind of talking to and encouraging the bulging parasite in his abdomen the way in like a sex comedy some like a teen sex comedy someone would be talking to another part of their body down there <laughs> it's 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 a, a, a really un, it's a movie that you will not ever shake i think and it so signals what's to come in his career so uh, shivers it's i think a neat like 85 minutes or so and uh it's, it's uh doesn't waste a second and if you're into Cronenberg and this one's finally available to stream, it is definitely one you'll want to watch. Yeah, that, I think it's also available on Amazon Prime as well as Netflix. So you have two options there. All right. My first pick is available for rent on Amazon and iTunes and various other places. It's from 1988 and it is Dead Ringers. <clears throat> and the winning David Cronenberg bingo here is... Weird sexuality, body horror, nightmarish imagery, mental breakdowns, and critiques of wealth. That's the winning That's the winning combo in this one. It stars Jeremy Irons in a dual role as a pair of twins, Beverly and Elliot Mantle, who live and work together as gynecologists. Uh, they have a kind of like symbiotic relationship. The shy, bookish Beverly mostly attends to their patients and does the research, while the charming, outgoing Elliot accepts the awards, he wines and dines their benefactors. But even though the twins have these kind of distinct personalities, they can switch places and play one another when the situation demands it. When the movie's beginning, 
Beverly becomes Elliot to attend a fundraising dinner while Elliot becomes Beverly to take a new client, this drug-addicted actress with a mutated uterus yeah. played by Genevieve uh, Bujold out on a date. So from there, both twins begin seeing Bujold's character. Do you, do you remember her name, Allison? No. Claire Niveau. <laughs> oh, the characters in Cronenberg movies always have such wonderful names. Claire Niveau. But she eventually figures out their ruse, and when she eventually chooses one twin over the other, that sort of creates this power imbalance in the brothers' relationship that kind of throws their lives into chaos. Who use these? Give us the tools, and we will do the job. I'm afraid I'm not familiar with these instruments, Doctor. I've just had them made. They're brand new. Well, number them one to ten from left to right. And give me the one that I asked for. Give me number five. Now, please! Yes! Number five. Number five. There's very obvious things that this movie is about, like twins and codependency, bizarre surgical instruments. Um, but rewatching the movie this week, um, the day after I had rewatched Scanners, so we could talk about that a little later in the show, the thing that I really was struck by was how much the movie is about drugs. The dangers and destructiveness of drug abuse, which is kind of a buried theme in Scanners as well. There's this fictional drug in that movie called Ephemeral, which is very important to the plot. So it's something I hadn't really thought about before. You know, Cronenberg has those themes. We've already mentioned a bunch of them. The nightmarish imagery, the body horror. I hadn't really thought about his movies in that context as being about drugs so much or addiction. But that's definitely a big part of Dead Ringers and some of these other movies. It might be something, I don't know, maybe someone's already written about that. But I feel like there's enough there for a piece for someone to, uh, to uh, write about. Uh, looking back at, at the film yesterday, I found, I found, I, I thought that the descent into madness was a little easy, a little rushed. It's pretty quick. It's, it's, it's very quick. Yeah. It really is. Um, and, and and I don't know, it's not a very long movie. I mean, that maybe that's, I don't know if that was a contractual thing or the reason for that, but it does happen pretty pretty quickly. But it's a really great pair of performances from Jeremy Irons. It's not, it's not one of those movies where, you know, two people are playing twins and look at all these tricks where they're throwing a baseball back and forth. It's not about that at all. It's much more about the psychology of these guys. It's not a stunt about one person playing two parts. And and yeah, the, the the Cronenbergian parts of it, the body horror, the surgical tools, that there's this one crazy nightmare where one of the twins has a, a dream where he thinks that he's like a like a Siamese twin with the other twin where they're like physically connected by this the flesh. Ni- oh, the nightmares in Cronenberg films are really they're the, nightmarish. They're the worst, <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah, and then like the girlfriend, the Claire character, like bites into the flesh thing and rips something out oh it's so bad it's horrible but it's really creepy and wonderful so uh yeah it's a it's a classic cronenberg film i rewatched it i had seen it before rewatched it and uh it definitely holds up great jeremy irons performances horrifying imagery 
And if that sounds fun, this one's for you. <laughs> That's Dead Ringers. It's available for rent on Amazon and iTunes. All right. My next pick is the film that I think I would probably say is my favorite Cronenberg film, at least at the moment, mm. or is, I think, maybe just overall the best of them in terms of coherence. It's A History of Violence, which is available for rent on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and others. 2005 film starring you know Viggo Mortensen, of course, as Tom Stahl, a humble diner owner in the town of Millbrook, Indiana, living this idyllic life, uh, married to Edie, played by Maria Bello, has a son and a daughter, you know, it's all-American, small-town living, until until the coffee shop is visited by two robbers and he kills them. He attacks them and manages to fight back in this really tremendously well-filmed scene. And he becomes a local hero, gets some press coverage and it brings his dark past in Philadelphia back to haunt him when he was a much more professionally violent man. And I, I think one of the many things that's done so wonderfully well in this movie is that it, is shaped like a kind of common, either like his past comes back to haunt him, like noir or action movie. You know, like this is a pretty common idea. This like, uh, he thought he left his past behind him. Right. Now he's going to go back for one last time. And, you know, uh, and, and in that type of movie, you, you cheer for the moment when like someone, you know, shows off the person they used to be again. Right. It's a, it's a moment of, triumph and excitement mm -hmm. when you're like look at what a badass this person is like look they look like a normal humble you know just a joe schmo but actually this is the the person they've been inside all along uh, and that's the case for this movie and it is also very exciting when tom you know smashes a coffee uh the coffee mug or the coffee whatever container into the face of one of the guys uh, except that in this movie, it never lets you shrug off the violence. The violence is incredibly well filmed. Like that scene is very exciting. Later ones are also just like, just really thrillingly, uh, thrillingly well shot, except then it always, it always goes back to look at what that violence actually looks like. What someone's face looks like when it's like horribly maimed mm -hmm. it, you know, if Cronenberg is someone we tend to associate with these like very imaginative bits of body horror, the body horror that is in, history of violence is all realistic but not it is no less horrific and it makes you it puts you on this very uncomfortable seat like knife edge about enjoying violence while also not letting you just shrug it off and i think in a time when we're very used to now the pg-13 action movie mm. in which there's insane violence but right. none of it's bloody right, right. because it can be pg-13 as you long can as kill as many people as you want as long as they don't bleed. as long as they don't bleed right and to have a movie where not that not nearly as many people die as right. in the average blockbuster it, it makes you feel it it always makes you feel it mm. uh, i think is this pretty remarkable achievement uh and, and you know the movie Viggo Mortensen is great in this, as is Maria Bello, and the, the movie is also notable for some, like, which have been written about a lot, the sex scenes in it, which also, I think, like, raise that uneasy edge of, uh, particularly the, there's one on the stairs of, of like, sex and violence being brought, like, together mm -hmm. in a way where you leave it both kind of turned on by it and also really disturbed by it. It's closing up, fellas. Coffee? 
black. Say, I'll have some pie. Some of that lemon meringue nice, pie. Nice, nice. I'm sorry, we're close. I said, coffee! We can handle that. It's not very fresh. You can go home now, Charlotte. Just leave the pie. And I think there's something amazing about being able to achieve that in a movie. Uh, you know. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, particularly for um, in regards to a movie we can talk about later, which is coming out soon. But just that the more the more violence we get used to as part of just day to day movies, the more um, the more films have to work to get you to notice it and also to think about it and for it to have an impact. Right. And I feel like there's still no film that does that better than A History of Violence. I think it really it's remarkable in that way. And also before I move on. It's another movie where, and I think this is true for Scanners as well, and for many of his movies, where, you know, there's this divide between being like, here's the real world, and then underneath is this feral and sometimes almost alien quality, dark qualities, but yeah, but the real world is always a little off to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, and the real world in a history of violence, it's a little off. It's a little too sharp. It's a little too sunny. Yeah. And then all of these things come crashing in. Yeah, that was some, that's something I was uh, thinking about watching all of these movies is is how he makes Cronenberg makes science fiction movies that are never set in the future. Right. They're never set in a they're always set in our world where just w- without much explanation for better or for worse in some cases. Things are a little off. Things are a little off. Things are a little different that there are just these alternate rules to reality that he kind of it's almost like he takes reality and then creates another rule to this reality and says, "Well, how would this affect uh, affect the world, yeah. And the, what you all, everything you're saying about violence is very interesting. I, I feel like we could have a whole conversation about that. I just watched The Raid Two this week, as also part of my uh, being ill and sitting in bed a lot. And I think there's a, there's a conversation to be had about that movie and the violence. Yeah, in it absolutely. As well. All right. Well, that's a that's a great pick. I was, you know, I was debating if you hadn't picked that one, that was probably going to be my one of my picks as well because I haven't seen it since it came out, and I really wanted to revisit it. I picked so good. The sort of waffling between that and Dead Ringers; those are my two kind of picks that I wanted to revisit amongst the sort of the rental options. Uh, My streaming pick this episode is available now on Hulu Plus, and it is called The Brood. And the David Cronenberg winning bingo here is. Buried trauma, deep distrust of doctors, completely invented wings of medical science, mega gross out climaxes, and the phrase collapsed fleshy sacks. <laughs> Allison, you earlier used the phrase, what was it, blood worm penis thing? Something like that. The only phrase in the human language more Cronenbergian than blood worm penis thing, collapsed fleshy sacks. <laughs> The completely invented wing of medical science in this case is called Psychoplasmics. It is the creation of Dr. Hal Raglan, another great name, played by Oliver Reed. It's this radical form of psychotherapy where you sort of imagine it this way. A person kind of confronts their repressed rage and then externalizes it like almost as like wounds on their body. It's like they almost injure themselves by ex- like unleashing this 
this rage that they've been uh, keeping a lid on for too long. Uh, the husband of one of Dr. Raglan's patients finds his daughter after she comes home from a week weekend with her mother at the Ragland compound that the, the daughter is covered with bruises. And so he kind of decides I'm, I need to get full custody of my daughter. I don't want my daughter going back to this place where Raglan is doing this weird psychoplasmic stuff. And so he sets out to prove he's a quack basically so that he can ensure legally that his, his daughter doesn't have to go back there. And as he's investigating the doctor, uh, members of his family begin to get killed by a deranged dwarf child. Uh, Allison, I don't want to spoil too much about this movie. I'm not sure if you have you seen I this one. I have not seen this okay, one. Okay, well, I'm not going to spoil too much, but I will say these two things are not rela- unrelated: <laughs> the the killings and the uh, the psychoplasmic. Al, it's me, Nola. It's Frank. Frank, my training. I thought you said you weren't going to come and see me while I was here. Well, I think that was a misunderstanding. That's why I'm here. I want us to understand each other. Now, that concept, and even the very name psychoplasmics, is a little bit silly. And this idea that if you get angry enough, you could externalize that anger in insane physical ways, it probably works better as a metaphor, this idea that repressed trauma inevitably manifests itself in horrifying ways. And uh, The Brute is definitely that. It's very horrifying. I I will say, despite the kind of silliness... Uh, the, the the big finale where we finally learn the truth about the brood, where they come from, what the story is with these weird uh, dwarf killers is one of the all-time great Cronenberg disgusting set pieces. <laughs> it is, I mean, if, you know, for even 25, 30, I guess now 30 years later, it is extreme. It is nauseating. It is gross. Uh, it's, and it's, it's not even super graphic. Well, it's, okay, it's super graphic, but it's, it's, it's not even that long, but it's just what you're seeing and what is happening is so, so terrifying and awful and disgusting. Um, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, Cronenberg uh, um, wrote this script when he was fighting for the custody of his daughter, um, which is fascinating because beneath the gore, beneath the slasher stuff, it, this kind of is. It's a twisted custody battle for this adorable little girl between a father and this disturbed mother. Uh, I only saw this movie for the first time just a few years ago, and I didn't love it then. I mean, I loved the ending, and I thought that was sort of the saving grace of kind of a crazy movie. Watching it again, it's still pretty crazy. I think the psychoplasmic stuff, you know, when we were talking just a few minutes ago about Cronenberg kind of creating these worlds that are just like ours but just a little bit off this idea i don't think he really quite pulls it off um it's kind of similar to scanners where you know it's just this whole kind of mythology he invents and you just have to accept it and go along with it i think it works better there than it does here but i think there is some interesting stuff about it and knowing that it is in some ways autobiographical or in some ways it's him working through his own kind of repressed trauma. I think that definitely enhances it. So, uh, yeah, it's, I don't, I wouldn't put it up there at the, at the, at the highest echelon of Cronenberg movies, certainly not my favorite, but as a deep cut, 
it, it it's a good one and it absolutely has that finale that is really right up there with some of the best scenes you know if we were doing if we were on film spotting original recipe and we were doing our top five cronenberg scenes that one would absolutely be on there for sure so that's the brood and uh, it's available thanks to the criterion collection on hulu plus i would like to scan all of you in this room one at a time I must remind you that the scanning experience is usually a painful one, sometimes resulting in nosebleeds, earaches, stomach cramps, nausea, sometimes other symptoms of a similar nature. There's a doctor present, Dr. Gatineau. I know that you've all been prepared for this, but I thought I'd just remind you just the same. Uh, there is one other thing. No one is to leave this room once the demonstration has begun. At this point, I'd like to call for volunteers. All right, it was another very close race for our listeners' choice review. Remember, on every episode of Film Spotting SVU, we let you guys choose the movie or TV show we review by voting at filmspottingsvu.com. And on our last episode, the choices were Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa, the first season of Amazon's critically acclaimed and now just renewed for a second season, yeah. right? Transparent, and David Cronenberg's Scanners. No surprise here now, since we've spent the last 30 minutes talking about David Cronenberg. That was the winner, but it was a neck-and-neck race between that and Transparent. Went right down to the deadline. Sadly, Allison, you will have to watch Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa on your own time. Another time, yes. Another time. Uh, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. But in the meantime, Scanners from 1981. It's really Cronenberg's first hit, or at least the first movie to kind of broaden his appeal, broaden his audience a little bit. It's set in this world where some people are simply born with this ability to, quote-unquote, scan others with telepathic powers. And we kind of meet a bunch of them as the film begins. Stephen Lack plays this homeless drifter and scanner named Cameron Vale, who's taken in by a Dr. Ruth, uh, played by Patrick McGowan, who works for a company named Consec. And Dr. Ruth trains Cameron Vale to control his powers, partly through the use of that drug we mentioned earlier, ephemeral. And Dr. Ruth's motives may not be entirely altruistic because he kind of wants Cameron to hunt down and, I guess, kill this uh, this kind of rogue scanner named Daryl Revick, who's played by Michael Ironside, who might be kind of secretly building an army of scanners to destroy Consec, take over the world, what have you. Allison Scanners is another easy winner of David Cronenberg bingo. Deep distrust of doctors, completely invented wings of medical science, mega gross-out climaxes, mental breakdowns, and exploding eyeballs is the, the, the bingo there that you need. Um, I'm having trouble using my scanning powers. I'm still a little weak from my cold. <laughs> so instead of just trying to figure it out telepathically, I guess is the real word, I will instead ask you, where do you think this one ranks among Cronenberg's movies? Is it one of his best? Or is it a great head explosion in search of a better movie? I think it's a very good movie, and it's a lot of fun to watch. I don't know that it's one of his best ones, just because it doesn't seem to have elements an element underneath that that kind of extra resonant element in some ways it feels like his take on a kind of more standard uh, like a subversive take on a more standard i don't know action movie almost right. you know or something yeah, that it doesn't have the the gross sex yeah or even just like i don't know that there's a particular like deeper theme to this other than you know, the paranoia and the right. kind of sense of isolation. But like, it is pretty much about what it says it's about. Right. It's a sci-fi yeah, thriller. Thriller. Yeah. And I, I think what it does do so well, and I think as, you know, as you've said, there aren't a lot of great movies about people using their mental powers. 
And this movie does so, what does, it does so well is make it look like it's hard and then uh-huh. it hurts, you know, yes. and it in, in very memorable ways. Yes. But that using telepathy on someone is not just like, I'm going to, I'm going to touch my forehead right. and elegantly read your mind. <laughs> right. It's hard. It hurts the people it's done to. There are nosebleeds. There are bulging veins. There's yeah. the famous head explosion, which is the scene that everyone remembers well from this. Yeah. But that scanning is gross and disturbing. You know, it is scary. Yeah. And I think that the fact that a movie can make make something that's become a very kind of now common pop culture idea so feel so different and alien and, and you know, disturbing. There's something very valuable about that. Yeah, you you hit on something I had in my notes too. The fact that so many movies about mental powers, it's, yeah, exactly. I touch your forehead, I, you know, or like Mr. Spock just kind of puts his fingers in just the right way. And, and uh, in this movie, it is, yeah, it's a, like, it's, it's brutal that, and he makes it really disturbing right from the very, very beginning with that, with those high pitched kind of droning noises on the soundtrack and, and the helplessness going into, yeah, of and it. people going into convulsions, like even the that very first scene where the Cameron Vale character is in like a mall or something and he's not even meaning to do it. And he starts scanning this older woman and she collapses and she's like shaking and, and we hear that kind of droning scanning noise on the soundtrack. I mean, it really is disturbing. Is it? It is a, a as you said, it's a pretty straightforward sci-fi thriller, but it has that Cronenbergian touch of just making it very nightmarish. That having mental powers, being able to read other people's minds, is not a gift, as Professor Xavier might say. <laughs> it is. It is the the veritable curse. It is horrifying. It is horrible. It is a a burden to anyone. You would know. You would not wish to to be a scanner to your worst enemy. Uh, and I think that's what really. That comes across really well. That and the other thing I think <clears throat> that's really great about it is uh, Michael Ironside. Oh, he's amazing! He's so fabulous, he's so good. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's you know generally he's a pretty great actor. He's had a lot of very good you know character roles, uh, and in this he is just so he because there is I think there is a very good possibility for someone to look at this and say this is silly, and what you're asking me to do is going to look silly. And I'm not going to go for it. And brother, he goes for it. And yeah. the the moaning and the grunting. He has and the, the best faces. telepathy face. Yeah. Uh, his like eyes face. roll up. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's great. His mouth is open. And yeah, like he really goes goes for it. And even when he's not scanning people, it's just a great menacing, slimy, this guy, Daryl Revick, which is another great Cronenberg name. It's just you do not want to mess with this guy for sure. Yeah. And. It's interesting that Stephen Lack, who didn't go on to have much of a career, this is you know the the thing he's best known for, not a terribly expressive or charismatic actor. No, he's just kind of he looks a little puppyish. I mean, which is deliberate. But yeah, that, something I wanted to talk about was yeah, his performance. But that he's not he's not a great actor, and it's I, I it's not a mistake that whenever you see a poster for Scanners, it's Michael Ironside on the poster. Right, you know he is. He feels like the the star of the movie whenever he's on screen. Right, and uh, I think that it's you care much more about what he's doing than you do about uh what's happening with the supposed good guys right well he's basically a a pawn i mean there and there's something to be said for that that you know that the fact that the the movie is the the good guys and the bad guys here are so nebulous and kind of deliberately confusing in, in in a way that again is such a like a nightmarish touch where 
there's no up. You know, there's no hero. There's, there's, and there's right. a there's seeming a... villain, but maybe he's actually not such a bad guy at the end of the movie. And uh, and that Consec, this this group is clearly they're evil. And and and, and the, you know, there's like people who have infiltrated Consec, but even the quote unquote good guys in Consec aren't such great great dudes either. And that's something I kind of like about it. But then the flip side of it is that the quote unquote hero, this the character played by Stephen Lack. Yeah, he's he is kind of a lack, frankly. He's just kind of an absence in the middle. And, and I, again, I think you could argue that some of it is by design because the character he's sort of discovered as kind of this homeless guy who's wandering, who's who's because of his scanning powers, he's never really become a fully formed person, and he's kind of being kind of drugged into uh, be, normality by the ephemeral. So. I guess he's not supposed to be a very demonstrative person, but the performance is so kind of bland and and as you you, you say he's like a puppy or a, yeah he's he's a little puppy you know of, you know I thought of it more as like a little he seems like a very like quiet shy little kid mm. which again some of it is probably deliberate but for the hero of this crazy movie there's not a whole lot to to latch onto he does pop up Stephen Lack does in Dead Ringers he has a very small role. And he's given a little bit more. He's not doing the same guy. He He's definitely mixing up his performance a little bit. So I want to give him enough benefit of the doubt to say that these are choices he's making for this movie. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure they were all the right choices. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, that if there had been someone a little more easy to invest in, yeah. maybe it would have been a slightly... I mean, it's still a very good movie. But yeah, it might have pulled you in a little bit more. As is, it feels... As is, is is the case for many Cronenberg films, a little cold to the ch- to the touch, you know. And he, I don't think in this case, he, in this case, he's supposed to be someone you invest in, right? And with the great Cronenberg movies, there's almost always a great lead performance, a great lead actor. You know, James Woods in Videodrome, a movie I don't know if we've mentioned yet, but is my favorite Cronenberg movie and is a, just a great, great film. That's a great lead performance. Viggo Mortensen in A History of Violence. You know, the the great ones usually have that really compelling charismatic lead that kind of grounds you in a, in the middle of all this insanity, that that's your hook, that's your anchor. And this movie doesn't really have that. It has Michael Ironside who almost, like, I mean, I think he almost pulls your sympathy away from the quote-unquote hero's story. Because By the end of the movie, I think yeah, he does. Yeah, because he is the character, he is that great performance. Like, he right. is the one who's like, I'm committed to this world, this off-kilter world. And he's really, by the, we don't want to spoil it, but by the end of the movie, we see he's doing something. You know, like, the Stephen Lack character is just sort of wandering. Now, he's been given a mission that he doesn't even understand, really. But he's kind of just wandering, like, from clue to clue. And, and as someone even jokes, like, wherever he shows up, people just start dying. And he's really just kind of a means of leading us through this world. Right. He's a narrative vehicle. He's not yeah. really a person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, random part in this movie that i loved yes. they go to see an artist who is a scanner and his art is just amazing yes <laughs> like, his art is just horrific but like all having to do with ideas of like the mind and like powers and like these giant heads at one part there's a giant head that he walks into to they have go a, sit inside, they sit inside it to have a talk yeah. it's really i mean as far as just like a kind of gratuitous setting and like visuals go it's amazing right because then later there can be like people bursting out of that head uh-huh. and like you know yeah when there's eventually there's some gunfire in that scene and stuff yeah that that it 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 invites all kinds of readings that are pretty wonderful yeah that that's another great scene in the movie as well yeah this um watching it it reminded me a little of robocop for whatever hmm. reason like that 
it was already set in a world that seemed that seemed disturbing. You know, mm-hmm. like the more you figure it out about the world it is set in, in which there is this very powerful company, and in yeah. like that it seemed, you know, like there's something off already, uh, which we've talked about as a Cronenberg thing. But I thought it in, it reminded me in that way of that movie that like there's no there's no easy there's no easy answer to like what the really the right happy ending is right and also and and as you said the company thing but also the the idea that like almost like there's no government basically that it's just that it's just the company the corporation essentially like rules the future yeah that's an interesting comparison and certainly the sort of very gooey uh practical effects is another thing that kind of unites them and kind of the uh, yeah, like the mutants in RoboCop feel like they could show up in scanners for sure. They definitely feel simpatico. Uh, absolutely. Um, anything else you want to say about scanners? Well, uh, let, I mean, the uh, a guy we got to talk about the ending, right? This, oh, yeah. Just in terms of the like the effects and the yeah. just how incredible that it's is. So incredible, yeah. I and I and so disturbing. Like yes, it you know something like that is coming. Like there's no, when, once you figure out what the movie is about, right. You know, something like that well, is going to start, happen. When you start with a head literally exploding on screen, you have to top it somehow. With so a, with a battle, with a battle. Yeah, right, exactly. But it is the idea that also there's not like, they are both, they both terrible things happen to both parties immediately. Basically, <laughs> you know, that like, it's not like, it doesn't seem to give any sense that one of one of the parties will walk away happy. Right. <laughs> that and it's yeah. I, I I feel like it's such a good ending. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that was that was scanners. That was our conversation about scanners. And if you have telepathic powers, you already know where to watch it. But if not, you can find it on Hulu Plus. All right. Before we get to our behind the eight ball segment, let's do Singer and Wilmore's completely concise and totally succinct new release roundup. I haven't seen anything. I've been sick. So Allison, it's going to be Allison's completely concise and totally succinct new release roundup. And she's going to be completely concise and totally succinct about two movies. And then I think a little longer longer on a third. So what are the what are the two you wanted to briefly mention? All right. Well, I have seen The Judge. And here comes the judge. Yes. How is it? Uh, it's basically like it feels like a '90s gr- John Grisham throwback movie, mm-hmm. which is not a completely terrible thing. It's very hokey in a lot of parts, predictable. But I, I think Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Duvall really complement each other well, and their scenes together are very good. I, it's a movie you can watch with your parents. Sounds I don't like know th- something I would watch on uh, on when it, like it was streaming on Netflix or if and it showed like up on Thanksgiving HBO. or something, yeah. and then you're home. Yes. And it's fine. Yes, that okay. is the ideal time to watch that movie. Okay, so that's the judge. Yes, and then this next movie, I would say the ideal time to watch it on an airplane. Okay, Dracula Untold. Oh, yes, it's basically it's like what if we took the story of Dracula and made him combined, a superhero, well, right? combined with yes the kind of historical character of Vlad the Impaler. Okay. And also he's a superhero basically. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty silly, but it's also silly in a, an enjoyable way sometimes. And it is an origin story. Like he goes out to get temporary vampire powers. He tries them out a bit. It's like, whoa, I can explode into a cloud of bats. That's so awesome. cool. And then, <laughs> so it doesn't know, come with a great, terrible cost. It does eventually, but ah. you know, but it still looks pretty good. Honestly, he, you know, and, and then also this is, the kind of backdoor pilot for, for the, the universal, universal monsterverse monsterverse yeah did they and they did they added something to make it fit did you they, know, do you know what I, this I was will say, watching this it? Is, is it evident yeah, well i will say this is i mean because it doesn't actually have any bearing to the larger story i will say minor spi- spoilers you can skip ahead 20 seconds if you don't want to hear this okay but it ends with him in the present day 
as still, you know, and Charles Dance is the master vampire is still there as well and the reincarnation of his late wife so is there as mina so, so he's captain dram drac america exactly <laughs> and exactly it really that's exactly what i thought and i and then it's so it's ready for he can be tied into the mummy when that happens in 2016 which is i think the official first one by the way i just copyrighted the phrase captain drac america nobody else can have it I uh, yeah, it's, it's all yours it's all yours <laughs> Okay, that's number two. Now, what's yeah. the third film? The third film is coming out this week and oh. is Fury. Oh, yes. sneak preview. Okay. The David Ayer's new movie. Who did Tank. Uh, War Tanks. War, War Tanks. War II, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Yeah, Logan Lerman. I actually like this movie a lot. Okay. Um, you know, David Ayer's did End of Watch. Yes. Which was all about Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. Like, Sabotage, right? With Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't know. I, I did not see... You, you would know you are the Arnold fan, but I liked End of Watch and I feel like the things that he does well in this, which is to basically show how guys hang out when they're in these intense situations, you right. know, and the kind of bonds they that have. Was, that was kind of like End of Watch. Yeah. It's a little about Sabbath. That is David Ayer did do Sabotage, by yeah. the way. And it's so, that was sort of what that was like, too. And that's bit. basically what this is all about. Okay. Um, but what I mentioned the violence before. Uh, the, the one thing that this movie, I think, is, is certainly one of the things it's notable for is... It's a World War II drama that goes out of its way to make you realize again, like, you know, that war is war. horrible. Yeah. And I mean, one of the earliest scenes, Logan Lerman is the replacement for a guy in the tank who has died. Okay. And he, they make him go in to clean up. Uh, like the guy's body has been removed. But so he's like wiping down viscera off the wall. Uh, and he looks over and like, there's like a recognizable piece of the guy's face just like uh, lying there. And there's a lot of violence like that where it's not typical war violence, like, or even when someone's getting shot by a gun, like it's their limb flies off or something, you know, like it is the, the violence and sabotage. This may be a thing with him. This is maybe a new David Ayer thing. The violence and sabotage was notably like more gruesome than, than a normal kind of PG 13 yeah. action movie. That's he's I got a touch of Cronenberg to him. Yeah, he might. He, <laughs> he might. does. Uh, and, you know, and I think uh, it's, it's all it's like, there are almost no women in this movie. I mean, obviously it's about, like the front the the best scene in it though is it involves them in a german town and they go to have breakfast at this house with two women and it's this kind of big centerpiece scene in the movie and it's really well done i liked it i i I know some people really hated it and other people were really into it i think it's an interesting movie to talk about um and i'm looking forward to it when it opens next week all right thank you for those recommendations so fury you would say you now you you didn't say is that one worth seeing i in would the say theater? in the theater that's, in the, that's in the theater worth seeing with your parents with at your home parents on streaming thanksgiving. on thanksgiving uh in an airplane, in an airplane. <laughs> and this one in the theater okay all right good to know all right so let's get on to uh behind the eight ball where we recommend some new titles on streaming we give you two listener recommendations from you guys and we pick one film uh blindly by number from our my lists uh, I guess, Allison, since you just ran through all those movies, I will go first yes. here. Are you ready, Matt? <clears throat> yes. Sir. All right. Well, three new picks. Okay. First up, in a world where Hollywood was dominated by male voices, one woman tried to change everything. Uh, writer-director star Lake Bell stars in In a World, which is now streaming on Netflix, a delightful romantic comedy. She plays a voice coach who lives in the shadow of her famous voice actor, voiceover guy father, played by Fred Melamed. Who's one of the? He's sort of like you know Don LaFontaine, who's who's a mentioned. Na- you don't see him in the movie, but he's like sort of a colleague of Don LaFontaine's, who was the famous in a world guy. Uh, but Lake Bell's character gets an opportunity to basically do the voiceover for a new Hollywood franchise, and while that's happening, she's also 
in kind of engage with these two potential different relationships, one with a professional rival played by Ken Marino, another with this very nice sound engineer played by Dimitri Martin. Uh, I don't know. Did we ever talk about this movie on the podcast, Allison? I think we talked about it when it was available on demand or Maybe. something. I actually haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it. No. I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't love the one particular thing about the ending struck me as a, a little bit of a sour note. I won't say what it was. But other than that, I thought this was a really, really sort of refreshing perspective on the rom-com i thought it was really exciting to see lake bell right direct star i hope you know i hope she makes a lot more movies like this and you know as a guy who loves kind of the cliches of movie trailers and the movie trailer voiceover guys that's another really fun aspect of the movie so that's in a world and streaming now on netflix streaming now on crackle is sleepwalkers which i had the good fortune to watch for the first time recently at the alamo draft house in yonkers with a live running commentary by the hosts of the flop house the podcast about bad movies um this film though is so ridiculous and silly that you don't need their help to enjoy it i think you could easily provide your own jokes and laugh yourself silly watching this have you ever seen sleepwalkers i have not i haven't seen it either it's basically about this this like teenager and his mother, the mother's played by Alice Krieg, who they move into the small town, they have incestuous sex together, they trap uh, women for her, the mom to eat because she's some kind of weird cat demon. Uh, there's no sleepwalking in the movie, even though it's <laughs> called Sleepwalkers, but I guess the, uh, the more accurate title, Cat Monster Incest Party, was deemed... <laughs> Not uh, didn't have a lot of marquee value, I suppose. Certainly one of the stranger products of Stephen King's imagination. This was written by Stephen King. It's not based on a book. He wrote the original screenplay. Um, but yeah, the fact that it is one of the weirder Stephen King things I've ever seen, that's that's saying something. But it is super silly and, and totally illogical. Makes no sense and just is really goofy. There's a heroic uh, police cat named Clovis. It's just tremendous. So that's Sleepwalkers. It's streaming now on Crackle. And finally, also streaming on Netflix, is the documentary Marina Abramovich, The Artist is Present, which is set in 2010 when uh, performance artist Marina Abramovich created this incredible uh, installation at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, where every day for months, from the time the, the museum opened to the time it closed, she just sat in the atrium and would stare without speaking at whoever sat down opposite her. Did you ever go and see it, Allison? I no. T- I mean, the lines were epic. Yeah, they were. Yeah. But I mean, you could probably go and you stand watch. and witness yeah. it. Right. And I, I regret not at least doing that because it seems uh, fascinating. Um, the artist is present installation was part of this career retrospective at the museum of Abramovich's work. And this documentary is sort of structured the same way. We watch the installation. We watch her staring at these people. We watch her preparing and going through the ordeal but we also have this sort of biographical element where we see her previous work we learn her life story and i'm a i love documentaries about artists generally it's it's a subject i'm always fascinated by but this is a very good one um and it does a nice job of balancing the biographical stuff you know her life story which i didn't know a lot about and giving you a really good taste of what the installation the artist is present was like so marina bromovich the artist is present now streaming on netflix all right two listener recommendations okay our first one is from mary c and mary writes hey matt nelson i've never submitted a recommendation before but would love to suggest on netflix the film in and out by frank oz it's a film i saw on hbo as a kid but decided to check out again and oh boy what a surprise it's a wonderful film very funny with an economical script 
and brilliant work by Kevin Klein and especially Joan Cusack, who was actually nominated for an Oscar uh, for the film. I say you take a second look or a first look at this small but fantastic film about a man about to be married who may or may not be gay. A scene where he listens to a book on tape regarding masculinity is laugh out is a laugh out loud highlight. Watch it. So that's a recommendation from Mary C. Recommending In and Out on Netflix. That's a film. I mean, I was probably a teenager. I think when it came out, I might have even seen it in the theater. I haven't seen it since then. I haven't either. I would be interested to check it out. Given the subject matter, I feel like it would be an interesting one to see now. Given how the culture has, in some ways, you know, kind changed, of changed absolutely. and evolved probably an interesting one to revisit so that's what i'm going to add to my my list when the show is over our next recommendation comes from gill in ottawa ontario canada and he says hi matt and allison this is a bit of an unorthodox listener recommendation but since it's halloween season i thought it would be appropriate every october james rolf better known as the angry video game nerd posts daily five minute reviews of horror movies on his website cinemassacre c-i-n-e-m-a-s-s acre.com in a series called Monster Madness. Rolf has covered hundreds of movies at this point, including the Universal Monster Movies, Hammer Films, Godzilla Movies, 80s Slasher Fix, and more. I highly recommend Monster Madness for anyone looking to get in the Halloween spirit. Keep up the great work. That's from Gil in Ottawa. And those are the Monster Madness movie reviews, which I admit I haven't watched. I know the Angry Video Game Nerd. I've watched some of his videos, but I haven't seen any of his uh, film reviews. I'll have to check them out. Cinemassacre.com is the website. And uh, we're going to be getting into the Halloween mood here ourselves in just a little bit, so stay tuned. All right, and one from your Netflix, my list. You gave me number 77, which this time is uh, a movie I have to admit I've never seen. And I, I imagine you'd be surprised when I say it. It's Black Hawk Down, the Ridley Scott Interesting. film. Interesting. I've never seen it. It's the war film, the. The uh, helicopter gets downed, right? And that's a Black Hawk, and it is down. And it's that's, this is all accurate. I, I, that's I, that's about all I know. I think Josh Hartnett's in it because he's on the cover of the the DVD or the the poster art and whatnot. And but he's he's not in it. That was just a surprising choice they made in terms of marketing. Interesting. All right. Well, yeah. live and learn. Well, now I'm not watching it. <laughs> I was only, I only added it to my my list because I thought Josh Hartnett was in it, and now that he's not in it, I'm deleting it he, as we speak. He might be in it. He might be in it. Okay. Well, yeah, for some reason, I've just I missed it when it came out. And it's just I'm not a huge Ridley Scott fan. He's not one of my favorites. So it's not I something... feel like it's not a, I mean, depending obviously on who you are, but that scenario is not necessarily the most instantly compelling to be like, oh, it's going to be kind of war like depressing. Yeah, yeah like, it's not the, it's not the sort of movie either that you're like, you know what I'm in the mood for? It's yeah, it's this it's is going to be a good time. Yeah, yeah, it's a little tough to will yourself to sit down to tell that, you know, kind of intense, depressing story. But anyway, yeah. Black Hawk Down. That's my my list pick this time. Allison, are you ready to go? I'm ready. With your countdown, let's start with three new titles. All right. First up, I have Elite Squad, The Enemy Within. This is written and directed by Jose Padilla, who also directed 2007's Elite Squad, which was a huge hit in its native Brazil, won the Golden Bear at Berlin, and was accused by some of being pro-fascist. Yeah. I do not actually agree with them. I would put this film up in this... Uh, having a vaguely Starship Troopers-esque mm, quality to it in the way it follows newcomers into becoming true believers in the tactics of BOPE, which is the special pol police squad operations unit of um, the military police of Rio de Janeiro. It's kind of like the SWAT team, basically. They operate by themselves, seem to have no rules that they need to follow and are incredibly brutal. Uh, the Enemy Within is a sequel 
2010 film. It focuses on one of the characters from the original film in particular. You don't really need to have watched the original to watch this one, mm-hmm. though I feel like it's kind of it is to Elite Squad as The Raid 2 is to The Raid. Like it's a much bigger movie. And in this case, it also deals a lot with politicians and corruption. The first film is all about how there's this, you know, this group of the police that practice such brutal tactics just to get the job done in, you know, patrolling the favelas, sometimes at horrific cost. In this movie, it's about how uh, one of the head, the heads of the squad and like a true believer is put into a position of greater power involving dealing with politicians. And you start to kind of see that regardless of the ethical, uh, like kind of quandaries of, of Bope and everything they do, at least in the fictional depiction, semi-fictional depiction of the movie, the, uh, they don't set a chance compared to the politicians and like the political structure. Uh, so it's a really interesting kind of sprawling, uh, ethically complicated movie, and it's it's a well directed. Padilla is a, a, a really interesting director, so it's now streaming for free on Hulu and worth checking out. New to Amazon is a film I haven't seen yet. I've heard really good things about, uh, especially when it debuted at Tribeca last year, and I know some people who are big fans of it. So I'm really looking forward to finally getting a chance to see it. It is Hide Your Smiling Faces, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime Instant Video. It is a directorial debut of Daniel Patrick Carbone. And it is a kind of dreamlike portrayal of one summer in the lives of two brothers who are living out in the kind of rural New Jersey slash Delaware border, um, during which time a friend of theirs is found dead, possibly due to an accident or possibly due to something more suspicious. Um, a writer at the playlist uh, described it as, quote, if Michael Haneke had directed David Gordon Green's seminal inaugural work, George Washington, which really, you know, sells me on that. So uh, that's now streaming on Amazon Prime Instant Video, and I am definitely going to check it out. And finally, one more that I'm really, I've really been dying to catch up on, um, now streaming on Netflix, American Promise. It's a documentary that, for reasons that will quickly become obvious, has garnered comparisons to boyhood. Directors Joe Brewster and Michelle Stevenson are Brooklyn parents who began filming their son Idris, as well as his best friend, when they started at Dalton which is one of New York's very prestigious, competitive, extremely expensive private schools. And they filmed them for 13 years um, up through from when they were just, you know, I think in first or second grade through to the end of school. Um, you know, obviously Boyhood is a scripted film that by its very structure ends up evoking ideas of documentary. Uh, while American Promise is a doc about uh, you know, the script of being successful, a successful adult that the filmmakers are hoping to kind of guide their son through. But I think the most interesting difference between the two may be that it, it almost like is that Idris is black and that and American Promise explores that difference in a very high end school. And also the idea that simply having access to, say, one of the best educations you can get in New York does not mean that it will automatically that you will be able to either fit in with what well, at least this is changing now, but it's still like a largely white school or that you will be treated the same way by teachers, even if, even though they're trying to, you know? Um, so that is American promise and it is currently streaming on Netflix. Okay. How about two listener recommendations? First up, we have one from Willie from Can- Manhattan, Kansas, um, who writes, I would like to recommend a directorial debut that premiered at Sundance in 2013, but didn't get a U.S. release until earlier this year. 
It felt like love is about a teenage girl who, after seeing her best friend's sexual encounters, feels the need to start exploring her own sexuality. It's beautifully shot with complex, captivating characters, a wonderful young acting ensemble, and at the same time manages to avoid making obvious flimsy statements about sexual pressures in society. The movie is currently my second favorite movie of the year so far, just behind Boyhood, and it's a shame more people haven't seen it. It's currently streaming on both Netflix and Fandor. Um, Willie also writes, and this is something I think we get asked on occasion, so this is a good time to address it. On a completely different note, um, I very much prefer that you limit yourselves to films that are available on streaming services rather than including digital rental. I understand it must make it harder for you, but so many movies are available for digital rental that it almost makes it too easy. Um, There just really aren't enough movies that are available on streaming for us to do like a themed podcast each time. Right, and also... also not everyone has the same streaming right. services. Right, and if we just did Netflix or we just did Hulu or we just, you know, people or would all say... all of those. Right, we try to mix it up and do as yeah. many different but options I, I mean, as we I think, can. But I think, you know, we, when we initially were coming up with the concept for this podcast, we had looked a bit to just doing themes via right. streaming. And what I think we found was that either we could do a theme or we could do recommendations but we couldn't do recommendations on a theme. Right. I think even the first yeah. couple episodes, we that just was, recommended was, movies, right? right? It, well, it was just, it was a real struggle for us to be like, we're going to talk about David Cronenberg. There are only four David Cronenberg movies available for streaming. So those are our recommendations right. by default rather right. than giving us any ability to choose. Yeah. So it just made it a little too tough for us. And I mean, honestly, on the scale of movies that are, have been released in the world, even the amount that's available on streaming and on rental is not is a pretty small fraction of them right you know i we look for movies all the time that are not available to stream or to rent so so for now that's what we're going to right we understand but we're we're just trying to you know like because if we said okay well we're just going to do streaming then somebody else would probably write in and say i don't i can't get netflix so that doesn't help me you know so it's like we're trying to accommodate as many people as we can as well All right, and then I have a second listener rec from Eric from Fargo, who wrote in specifically in hopes that we would talk about LGBT films if Transparent won the listener's choice. It did not, but Eric had some great suggestions of indie films streaming on Netflix that star actual trans actresses and that focus on non-white, non-wealthy LGBT populations that are often overlooked. Gun Hill Road is a gritty coming-of-age story that balances the daughter's transitional story and the macho traditional father's coming to grips with losing a son. Leave It on the Floor is a delightful musical set in the ball culture seen in Paris is Burning, also streaming on Netflix, set among gay and trans youth in L.A. The phenomenal dancing from Beyonce's choreographer Frank Gaston Jr. is a particular highlight. Okay, and one film from your my list. Um, I have my my list set up so that my newest picks go to the top of my my list. Right. So you gave me number nine, which is a new release on Netflix, Peaky Blinders. This is a British series that was created and written by Stephen Knight, who uh, wrote Eastern Promises, speaking of David Cronenberg, and Dirty Pretty Things, and he wrote and directed the recent film Locke. It's a crime drama set in post-World War II Birmingham about a gang uh, that shares the name of the title. Uh, They're named that way because they sew razor blades into the peaks of their caps. Um, Otherwise, I feel like Peaky Blinders is just like an incomprehensible, like I can't even remember the phrase. (laughs) It's like, I think at least to an American ear, it just feels like something that's sort of English, but not quite English. (laughs) Um, But the the series stars Killian Murphy as the head of the gang, Sam Neill as the head of police, 
It's a BBC Two series. Netflix picked it up uh, as an original in the US. They, they've released it. Um, they have the six episode first season. The second season is currently airing in the UK with Tom Hardy having joined the cast. So it's really as kind of Tony a a cast and kind of production as possible, at least from the way it sounds. I've been really looking forward to having the time to watch this and haven't yet, but you know, every aspect of that sounds pretty appealing to me. So Peaky Blinders, I will check it out eventually. All right, let's get to our listeners choice options for our next episode. And as I alluded to earlier, we're going to do a Halloween themed episode because it's going to be coming out the week of Halloween. It seems like a, a smart thing to do. So what we did was we went through on Netflix. This will make the listener who wanted more streaming options uh, happy because we basically just went through on Netflix and, and looked for like the better or more interesting or stuff we hadn't seen, horror movies that are available right now. We went through the whole – I gave basically a, a big list to Allison, and together we kind of pared it down to three options that we're interested in checking out. Uh, I haven't seen any of them. Um, I'm not sure, Allison, have you seen any of the three options? I have not. All right, so whatever it is, it's going to be something that's new to us, and that should be great. But they're all older, relatively older titles. One of them, the first one, is a little bit more recent. You have that, Allison. What is that? It is American Mary, which is the 2012 film, a horror film starring Catherine Isabel. And it is written and directed by the Soska sisters, who are this kind of, uh, who are upcoming directorial duo siblings, as so many of them are. Uh, that I think are getting a lot of attention in the horror world and I think uh, have some big projects, at least, you know, in talks. So they're people you should keep an eye on. But it is about a medical student who begins doing extreme body modification for people, uh, you know, who are looking for non-conventional body mods that require surgical experience. So, you know, as... (laughs) Sounds like a great epilogue to our Cronenberg episode right I, you know I, I interviewed one of the creators of Orphan Black and he said he's Canadian as well he said that he thinks that every all all Canadian horror or sci-fi people are the, the children of Cronenberg as he put it <laughs> oh god so there certainly seems to be a touch of that in this one hmm. which is currently streaming on Netflix all right option number two is a um, older film but it's uh, got a, a current connection It's from 1976, and it's called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And the connection is the fact that a remake of the film with the same title, the new title, the new film is called The Town That Dreaded Sundown as well, is opening uh, in theaters later this month. Actually, by the time the episode that this review would be on is released, it will have already come out. It hasn't come out by the time we're recording this. Um, Here's the description from Netflix of the original 1976 film. In the late 1940s, the residents of Texarkana, Texas are terrorized by a mysterious hooded nighttime killer who leaves the authorities baffled. So it's kind of a considered a, you know, classic slasher film, I believe. And uh, neither of us have seen it. And the fact that it is getting that remake, I think, gives us a, a, a good, compelling reason to uh, check it out. And, and I don't know if we'll have time to see the new version, but that would be interesting as well as if we are able to uh, compare it to the, to the new version. So that's The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Uh, if I didn't mention, it's directed by Charles B. Pierce. And it is streaming now on Netflix. And our last pick is a 1990 film. It is... 
it's interesting that it's not described as a horror movie, at least in the Wikipedia description. They, it, it describes it as a psychological crime thriller film, mm. which maybe, you know, of course, these are all uh, in the eye of the observer. put on lists of, of great horror films. But I think so. that speaks to the kind of horror film it is, which True. is not like a titillating one. Right. It is a disturbing one. Yes. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer stars Michael Rooker as the, the titular serial killer and, you know, is just a really bleak disturbing from all accounts and you know a uh, portrait of someone who uh, goes around killing people <laughs> um, that's you know, what serial killers do there you go i mean like you know this it, it's a movie that's regularly cited for for being influential as well as just also being difficult to watch um 90s indie and michael rooker has you know kind of had a comeback in recent years he's on the walking dead it was recently yondu in guardians, guardians of the of galaxy, galaxy yeah. who was like one of in in a in a movie filled with memorable characters he was one of the most memorable he certainly was yeah certainly so was. uh this was the movie that really defined his career for a long time right and it'll be interesting to take a look and also see you know what that does to your career when you're like you're playing someone who is so convincing. You are so good as that psychopathic. Killer. Right. Like, does that kind of warp what you're able to do for a while? Like people have trouble kind of getting out of their heads. I'm yeah, curious. I'm but, trying to think of examples. And certainly there are cases where it does. And maybe somewhere it doesn't. Yeah. Well, uh, that's our third choice. And like all of them streaming on Netflix. All right. So which horror movie should we review on the next scare-tastic episode of film spotting streaming video unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, October 20th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu, and you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on our next episode, which should be on or around Tuesday, October 28th. FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, uh, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies and occasional TV shows we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at Film Spotting SVU. It's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you, the SVU listeners. And as always, if you have a streaming recommendation you would like us to read on the podcast, we always want more of those and love reading your suggestions. Email us at SVU at filmspottingsvu.com. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening.